be a turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Our scripture passage is what we'll be speaking on tonight as we prepare ourselves for the coming of Easter. So Luke 23, we'll be looking at verses 44 through 49 this evening. Hear the word of the Lord. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, and especially on this, a good Friday, Lord, prepare us to receive what it is that you're about to teach us, but prepare us for the resurrection from the dead. So, Father, lead us now. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'll see that this is a time of moments on the cross for the king, and the first thing that we see is that there is darkness. And this is surprising because it's the sixth hour of the day which for us would be noon till about 3 p.m. Now, when I first used to preach Good Friday, I would like to try to get uh, the people whipped up into an emotional frenzy. I'd like you to have understood what it was like to feel the sting of the whip upon Jesus, that you would have found the piercing of the thorns upon your brow, that you would have smelled the blood that ran down Jesus' body, that you would have heard the hammer upon the nails. Almost to a point where you felt sorry for Jesus. But the reality of the situation is, is that there was hundreds if not thousands of people who endured this same torturous death. So what's different about Jesus? It's Dr. Luke who sets it apart and he brings about three specific moments that we should um, pay attention to. And the first one was that of darkness. Darkness in the Old Testament, there there was a sense where there was symbolic. So there was a, a literal darkness that was there that day, but it was symbolic and it was symbolic of evil, sorrow, and even judgment. Amos Chapter 8, verses 7 through 10 says this, The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who dwells in it? And all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon, and darken the earth in broad daylight. And I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. 
See, here we have that God even was preparing us that judgment, this lament that he was bringing was going to be falling upon Jesus and therefore became a new exodus because there was a need of a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice for us so that we might find ourselves removed from the bondage and find ourselves in the midst of freedom. And so we have this darkness that's set up in such a way that God brings judgment upon his son that was meant for us. The second point that he brings about is that there's a curtain that was torn in two. And we have to understand that this curtain was torn by God. It was torn from the top to the bottom. And as such, it was a removal of the old covenant. The old covenant that was established with Abraham where God walked through the pieces was over because there was the new covenant to begin in the blood of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus cried out that it was finished, he allowed us to have fellowship once again with God. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says this to us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the curtain was torn in two and it allowed us because of Christ's perfect sacrifice, because he paid the judgment that God brought upon him, because he was able to cry out, it is finished. He pays for our sins and he allows us to have fellowship with him once again. But he does this of his own accord. How do we know that? Because Dr. Luke again points us to a very specific point. He says he calls out, but he doesn't just call out. He calls out with a loud voice. And for those who are aware of, of how crucifixion happens, there was, um, they died of asphyxiation. They didn't die typically of their wounds. They died because they kept having to press off of their feet and off of the nails in their wrists and take a breath and then slump back down. And again, their bodies were torn as they went up and down upon the cross, upon the wood. And so Jesus, to cry out with a loud voice is an amazing thing because it would have been very painful and he says something very specifically. He says something from Psalm 31.5. For pious people, for Jewish people, it would have been pretty much a bedtime prayer. They would have said it daily. Much like we say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It was something that they said. And so Jesus says Psalm 35, verse, uh, 31, verse 5. But it was done with this spirit. It was done with these words. Into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. But Jesus changes the prayer. Remember, Jesus, when he was feeling the wrath of God upon himself, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the very moment, at the end of his life, he returns to the statement of, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And because of that, it was his decision, a king's decision. He was not a victim of the Romans or the Jewish leaders. Jesus chose when to die. He chose the exact moment of when to give his life. Philip Ryken says this, There are times in life when we feel God forsaken, 
when we wonder whether God is even there. But Jesus knows what it, this is like because he really was forsaken. Nevertheless, he trusted his Father in the darkness as we should trust him whenever we are feeling desperate. Even when we cannot see the light and prayer seems like nothing more than a cry in the dark, we are called to trust the Father as Jesus did. For by faith we yield everything up to God, surrendering everything we are and have to him for all eternity. So we have the judgment upon Jesus Christ that comes. He receives the, the punishment upon Jesus as our punishment. He rips the curtain that allows us to have the entrance. And he cries out in the loud voice saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But then the Dr. Luke brings us to the responses of the people who were there. How did they respond? How should we respond? The response of the centurion went this way. This is the man who was a Gentile, who was a hardened man. And he saw and he heard everything that Jesus endured at the end of his life. He saw it. He heard the discussions that went on with the prisoners on either side of Jesus. He saw the people jeered him. He saw the people spitting at him. And here in the midst of this execution upon Jesus upon the cross, after he is removed, he makes this exclamation, this man was innocent. And the book of Mark even says that this centurion says the words, truly he was the son of God showing that Jesus died not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the centurion, it says in the scripture by Dr. Luke, he praised God after he killed an innocent man. So we see the response of the centurion. The second one, we see the response of the crowds. And it says that the crowds went out in the midst of the spectacle now again, what is the spectacle? Was it that they were going out to see the crucifixions for the day? Was it just part of their entertainment? Sort of like how we go and watch the UFC fights or watch wrestling or go and watch other sports where people beat up on each other. Were they going just simply for the entertainment? Were they there because of the visual impact of the day? I mean, here was a weather anomaly. For three hours, there was darkness and it says in other scriptures, other parts of scriptures, that there were earthquakes, there were tremblings that were happening. So we get caught up. We wonder about these weather anomalies. There were times where, again, just a few years ago, where it was raining on one side of our neighborhood and not the other side. People went outside. What's, what's the deal? How can this be? But how did they respond? It says that they responded in sorrow. Now, this means that it, it was a traditional Eastern custom for people to beat their breasts, specifically women, but there was also men that left this area, and I think a lot of times that people feel sorry for Jesus. They're saddened by what happened. But I guess the question for us and the question for them was, were they unchanged? Would they have gotten up the next morning and have felt no different? It was just a bad situation that an innocent man had to die. And then we have the third group, and these were called the acquaintances in the Scripture. And these were the family and friends and those, and it said that they stood at a distance. These were the devastated faithful. They were watching the suffering of someone that they had loved and had been with and walked with. 
And it says they were watching. They were pondering, what is the meaning of this cross? What's the meaning of this death? Because truly they did not understand what had just happened. A moment in time that changed all of creation, the universe, our world, and the people forever. See, again, Good Friday is not about all the goriness. And it's not to whip you up into an emotional frenzy. It's not to get you to feel sorry for Jesus. It's to get us to understand that Jesus willingly went to the cross and endured the judgment of his Father for our sins. When God accepted his payment on our behalf, he allows us to come freely now into his presence, to speak with him, to talk with him, to be engaged in life. So how do we respond? Do we respond in praise? Do we watch from a distance? Are we just saddened? He's preparing us because Sunday is coming and he is alive. Make no mistake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come and prepare ourselves for the Lord's table, Father, I ask that we would truly recognize we get to see because we've seen Easter Sunday. But Father, may this year, even this year, be the time where we make Good Friday personal to ourselves. That Jesus willingly went to the cross that he gave his life as a ransom for mine. That God accepts his payment for all of our sins so that we might respond with praise and glory and honor. So Father, on this day, prepare our hearts as your body was prepared for the day of resurrection. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.